This week on Blue 58, the Packers lock up a former first-round pick, try to trade a former fifth-round pick, and get a third-round pick for a guy who's not even around anymore. Then we talk with Tex Western of AcmePackingCompany.com and check in on all of this year's draft picks. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. We are powered this week, as we are every week, by WTMJ Mobile. I am your host, John Meerdink, joined as I always am by co-host Gary Zillaby. How are we doing, Gary? It's a great day to be great, John. Great day to talk a little bit of NFL draft, finally talking about it in the past sense, or past tense, I should say, as well. But first, we need to start with ha-ha Clinton Dix. The Packers have finally made a long-expected move to pick up his fifth-year option. It is the first time they've done this since it became available for 2011 first-round draft picks. Ha-ha Clinton Dix now gets an injury-guaranteed salary of around $6 million, not for this year, but for the year after that, what will be the final year of his first contract with the Green Bay Packers. All of that Uh, supposedly, probably, hopefully, leading up to a long-term deal between the Packers and the 21st pick of the 2014 NFL Draft. Gary, how much of a no-brainer was this? It's a total no-brainer, John. And the decision to draft Clinton Dix looks even better when you take a step back and you look at who else was taken at the safety position in the 2014 Draft. So, John, I'm going to hit you with a couple of names. First, the New York Jets took Calvin Pryor, with the 18th pick, so three before Clinton Dix. You might remember the Jets took two safeties high in the draft this year, so uh, Calvin Pryor's option was declined on Tuesday for this fifth year. Uh, Pro Football Focus ranked him as the 74th best safety last year. Considerably lower than uh, HaHa, by the way. Considerably lower. Then after Clinton Dix, the Cardinals took a safety, Dion Buchanan, 27th, and Buchanan inspired a league-wide trend of putting that bigger defensive back in the box as a linebacker, something the Packers have have done with Morgan Burnett, and I'm sure new safety Josh Jones might be playing a little bit of that role. Uh, Not a bad pick, but all things considered, I'd rather have Clinton Dix than Buchanan. Finally, you've got two two other safeties taken in the the kind of first first round, early second. Jimmy Ward by the 49ers uh, at pick 30 was drafted a safety but has played cornerback so far. And then the Rams took LaMarcus Joyner 41st overall. Again, moved to cornerback uh, and, and ranked as the 30th best corner by Pro Football Focus last year. So of all the top safeties drafted, Clinton Dix is the only one to excel at, well, playing safety and of the two defensive backs in that 2014 draft who have made a pro bowl it's clinton dicks and the chargers jason verrett so if that doesn't make it sound like a no-brainer as to why the packers picked up that fifth year option of clinton dicks let me get you with one more cherry on top john the player selected after haha clinton dicks in the draft none other than texas a&m quarterback Johnny football the quarterback of the future I think for the Cleveland Browns still so I think they're still trying to find that guy who can really take over for Johnny Manziel <laughs> if Johnny Manziel is the quarterback of the future then Dippin' Dots are the ice cream of the, the future Dippin' Dots will always have a special place in my heart but that is a conversation for another day <laughs> we should circle back to a quarterback of our own here on the Packers the Packers almost traded Brent Hundley during the draft, according to ESPN's Rob Domovsky. They were trying to deal Hundley for a draft pick. It sounds like this was happening along with the Deshaun Kaiser 
sort of situation, the rumors about the Packers possibly taking him with the 33rd selection. That didn't ultimately pan out, and the Packers ultimately couldn't find a dance partner and a deal for Hundley either. But with two years left on his deal, this next season and then the following season, the Packers are really on the clock here as as far as getting a deal done to get Hundley out of town and hopefully get a draft pick or more in return for their backup quarterback. So, Gary, assuming the Packers still want to trade Brett Hundley, what's the way forward? Well, the soonest a trade could happen, in my estimation, would be before this year's trade deadline. And I think the latest is the Friday night of the 2018 NFL Draft. So that's a pretty big window. And to try to give you a little bit more context, I think four things need to happen for the Packers to really maximize their return in a in a call for Hundley. So here's the four steps. First, I think Hundley's got to stay healthy, and he has to play well in the preseason. You'll remember last year, he didn't play a whole lot, and that led to the Joe Callahan experience. Second, you got to hope that one of these five teams don't find that franchise quarterback before next year's draft. Those five teams, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the Cleveland Browns, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Denver Broncos. Third, you're going to want to hope that these one of these four teams with a veteran quarterback that's getting up there in age, the, San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Giants, and the New Orleans Saints, you want to hope that one of those four teams decides to draft a quarterback in the first round next year. And finally, you want to hope Number four, that one of these top three prospects in college, UCLA's Josh Rosen, a.k.a. the Rosen one, Wyoming's Josh Allen, or USC's Sam Darnold underperforms. You remember Hundley was at at times before he had went and, and entered the NFL draft projected to be a top five quarterback in the draft, but had a poor final season at UCLA and, and dropped to the fifth round. So, all of that to say, let's say none of that happens or things don't really break and the Packers end up holding on to Hundley. I think if he leaves in free agency and a team signs him to a contract similar to what Brock Osweiler or Mike Lennon got in free agency, you're looking at a third round compensatory pick in the 2020 NFL draft. So ideally, if you want to trade him, you want a second round pick for Brett Hundley. At least, at least a second round pick. I think it may be wishful thinking to hope for a first unless he really tears it up in this preseason and then maybe comes in for some solid spot duty during the year. But I think a second round pick is a, is a worthwhile hope for Brett Hundley. And if one of those teams really gets desperate, who knows what can happen. But I, I think the Packers would rather have that draft pick sooner rather than later. So if they could avoid waiting until 2020, I guess that would probably be ideal. Finally, speaking of third round picks, I think an interesting way to look at the situation with T.J. Lang, Jari Evans, and the Green Bay Packers. So we talked about this one last week. We had an in-depth article on the blog about this one as well uh, because the Packers have been getting some criticism for letting T.J. Lang walk and go to Detroit. But based on current projections, the Packers are probably going to get something around a third-round pick for T.J. Lang in terms of a compensatory selection. Now, Jari Evans has joined the Packers, and the terms of his contract were announced today. He's going to make about two and a quarter million dollars if he fulfills all of the incentives in his deal, and that could be a big if. There's a lot of maybe more difficult to earn ones in there. 
Suffice it to say, he's a lot more affordable than TJ Lang was at more than $9 million per year. In short, what that means to me is that Ted Thompson essentially traded TJ Lang for Jari Evans and a third round pick. And Gary, I think if we frame it that way, just about everybody makes that deal, don't they? I think so, but I do think there's an interesting case on the opposite side of not making that deal. John, you and I are both big fans of letting TJ Lang go, and I think both of us feel like Jari Evans in that third-round pick is a really fair uh, replacement in terms of of TJ Lang long-term at guard. But here's the other side. Evans is a full four years older than Lang, and a lot of our conversations about TJ Lang this offseason have been about whether he long-term can perform at that high level. Second, as you said, Evans is uh, has, a, has a bunch of performance-related bonuses in his contract that are tied to his ability to play in games. So if he can't play the full 16 games, and that's something that the Packers went through with Jeff Saturday when he was their center in 2012, you're really still dealing with the Don Barclay, uh, Lucas Patrick, Kyle Murphy, you know, who, who's going to fill that role? Doesn't mean I I won't miss Lang or still wish he was on the team. Ultimately, I believe that it was the right move in that I think Ted Thompson got really great value for TJ Lang. Uh, it's going to take a while to know whether this was a good or a bad decision. And right now, my gut tells me it's a good I one. I think it is a good one, but you do have to remember, you do have to bear in mind that we're, we're not looking at Evans as a long-term solution at guard. If he get if he's here for more than one year, I think the Packers are, are playing with a little bit of fire. Hopefully, you can sort of build up a replacement between now and about this time next year so Evans can enjoy a little well-deserved rest as maybe a former professional football player and the Packers can move forward with a bit of a younger guard. We're going to move forward with a bit of an interview here. We are joined by one of, I guess, our colleagues at acmepackingcompany.com. He is the man who runs the entire show over there. His name is Evan Tex Western. You can find his work, as we said, at acmepackingcompany.com. And he is going to share some of his thoughts about the NFL draft and how the Packers did. We taped this conversation a little bit earlier, but we will play it for you now. So take a listen. We are joined by Tex Western of acmepackingcompany.com. Hoping to talk a little bit of NFL draft, but first and foremost, Tex, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing great. Got a little dinner in me and uh, ready to talk some draft stuff. Good. I'm, Let's start I'm with excited. that draft. Let's start with yeah. that. Let's dive right in with the process of the draft itself. Ted Thompson, I guess, as he always does, really let the board come to him in this particular draft. And when things actually rolled down to the 29th pick Thursday night, there were plenty of options on the board, and Thompson traded out of the spot, sliding back to number 33. What did you think of the move when it happened, and how do you think things played out from there? Well, it's it's interesting. For about two weeks, I've been saying I felt like Ted's going to trade out of that 29th pick and, and move back into the, the early part of the second round. Um, so it didn't surprise me in the least. Um, it, it did surprise me a little bit that it was with Cleveland, and, and it surprised me even more that they moved up and they didn't try to grab a, a Deshaun Kaiser or one of those couple of quarterbacks who was left on the board. Um, the, the fact that they moved up to get Njoku, the tight end, I think was was more surprising to me than anything. But, um, no, I think they, they got good value out of it. I, I was pleased with, with the move when it happened. 
Um, I certainly understand, you know, what he's going for grabbing that extra fourth round pick. And then um, it, it was interesting to see the the meltdown of Badger fans, especially when when TJ Watt went with the next pick to to Pittsburgh at thirty. Um, and I even tweeted out at one point during the during that evening on on Thursday night, I'm like, well, will you guys feel better if he uses that that one hundred eighth pick that he picked up in this trade to, to draft Vince Beagle? And I got a lot of crickets. So. I think it uh, it was it was pretty interesting the way it worked out and, and I think it ended up um, you know the the Wisconsin fans who who really wanted to see Watt there I think were uh, they had their concerns eased a little bit when Beagle ended up being the pick that they got in in the fourth round so it was again for for value purposes it was a good move I think they got the guy they wanted in Kevin King anyway um, so I think it all it all worked out for the best. Listen, Tex, people just wanted a Badger. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what badger they they just want a badger. Give me a badger, please. Yeah, it's funny because you know for so long Thompson never drafted one, and you know now we've got two in the last three or four drafts with with Aberderis a couple of years back. So I, I think the narrative of Ted doesn't draft badgers can officially be be called dead now. Um, and and there is there's so much I think associated with the Watt name that I think that was a little bit more on on some people's minds too. But yeah, the the probably ninety percent of it was, yeah, let's just let's get one of these guys and and you know feel good about about one of these homegrown stories coming to Green Bay and and once they got Beagle, I think that that essentially um, kind of calmed everybody down and and it had had everybody feeling good coming out of the weekend. For sure. And and speaking of Beagle, how big of a contributor do you think he can be? for the Packers, uh, you know, despite him being a fourth round pick. Well, he's interesting because I, I think he's, he's undervalued if you ask me. And, and I'll, I'll admit being a, a Wisconsin grad and, and watching Wisconsin every Saturday, I got to see him pretty much every Saturday for the last four years. Um, but, but I think he's an excellent player and he brings a little more polish right away to his game than TJ Watt did just because he's been playing on the defensive side of the football for his entire life essentially um you know whereas watt coming in was uh, was a tight end coming into wisconsin and then only only shifted over to linebacker for the last couple of years so maybe the ceiling's not quite as high on beagle um but he certainly had uh, good good testing numbers at the combine i think that kind of impressed some people and and certainly was um he, he performed better than i anticipated he would and certainly i think that's a that's certainly a, a positive for him moving forward uh, but you also look at his versatility you can you can maybe play him inside a little bit. Certainly play him outside. Almost use him in that Clay Matthews role, um, where he's playing all over the place. And he also he'll he'll be very good, I think, on special teams right away. Um, but in terms of the defense, I think you you almost slot him in there right away at the third linebacker spot behind Nick Perry and Clay Matthews. I think you've you've got to assume that he's certainly ahead of Kyler Fa- Kyler Fackrell um, right now. I think he's he's a more polished pass rusher than Fackrell even even was was after a year of, of playing in the NFL and the, the, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how his reps go with J. Ron Elliott's, which guy is the first guy in off the bench in the rotation. But certainly I think he'll, he'll probably play maybe 20, 25% of the snaps on defense. And then he'll be a big time special teams player, at least in year one. Talking with Tex Western of AcmePackingCompany.com. Tex jumping back to the Packers first pick, not a first rounder, but could have been, Kevin King. Now the measurables are off the charts. Everybody knows about that. We've seen how tall, how fast 
he is and uh, what he does in those agility drills. But the the concerns about him that kept him from being a first-round pick were about technique and about how he really plays cornerback. The Packers do have need at cornerback. Do you think he's going to be the week one starter at one of those two spots? Well, I think it's worth noting that um, w- w- that the Packers use that nickel alignment so much as essentially their base. So um, when they're in the nickel, I think he'll be one of the two starting outside corners uh, with Devon House on the other side and probably Demarius Randall starting out in the slot. Um, I, I, I just think that he's certainly got the upside over Ladarius Gunter in terms of his speed and his agility. Um, Gunter's obviously got the, the size as well, but but certainly he's not nearly the athlete that King is. And ultimately, um, having a, a full offseason to, to or, or at least a partial offseason to work with Joe Witt uh, on his technique, I think that'll be um, certainly a good step for him. So you'll, you'll see him rotate a little bit, but I, I do think he'll be starting um, on the boundary with with Randall in the slot uh, come day one. So Tex, shifting away from the defense here, we've got three running backs in the draft, and John and I sure uh, love the idea of picking three really different and unique running backs. But yes. what should we think about Thompson drafting three guys at one position, especially one that is Paul Noonan of Acme Packing Company says is really not that important to the Packers. Yeah, it, it was definitely curious and, and definitely unexpected. I thought they would probably would draft two, and, and they had given some of the a couple of prospects that indication earlier during this draft process. But, um, yeah, taking taking that third one in the seventh round with Devontae Mays, I, I think that was more just, uh, just taking a flyer on a guy with some upside that they like. Um, I, I wouldn't really read too much into the seventh round picks in general. At least that's, that's how... Um, that's how I'd approach it from just just Thompson's overall strategy. Just it seems like the the seventh round is for guys that they want to grab the rights to and not have to deal with bidding for them in, in undrafted free agency. And they're just essentially taking a flyer on on a guy that they either have brought in for a visit or they they kind of know a little something about so certainly seventh round picks are not guaranteed roster spots in green bay you've seen a number of these guys um you know come into camp as a rookie and and get cut or or move down to the practice practice squad or what have you so i i think uh jamal williams and aaron jones are the two guys who you'll you'll see really fighting for for roster spots uh fighting for uh position in the depth chart um and and I really like what both of those two guys bring to the to the fold. I think Williams is a little bit more of the slasher that that cutback runner. Um, almost reminds me a little bit of James Starks when he was really really good, just in terms of his size, the way he runs, um, the, the the cutback that he has. And then Aaron Jones is you know he seems like he's right out of the Jonathan Franklin, Brandon Jackson kind of mold. Um, I'll be looking forward to see if he can pass block because I think if he can, that's going to be his ticket onto getting playing time on offense. So certainly there's, there's roles for these guys. Um, but the, I, I'd, I'd read a lot more into those first two than I would into the maze pick. Speaking of seventh round picks, uh, Malachi Dupree, the Packers, other seventh rounder has been almost <laughs> anointed a surefire contributor, even though you said, you know, it's not even guaranteed that he'd make a roster spot taken 247th overall. It seems like, there should be some question marks around him. What's your read on him? It's it, it's funny that this whole thing has been going on for the last 24 to 48 hours, I feel like, on Packers Twitter. And and I'm of the opinion that the Packers got a steal in the seventh round. I think he's got 
you know, early day three, maybe, you know, late day two ability, but he just never put together the production at LSU for whatever reason. I mean, you can look at the offense at LSU is, um, you know, is, is Brett Bielma level levels of, of um, aged and in, in terms of its concepts. But, um, and, and certainly the quarterback play at LSU was, was not any good either, but you'd like to see a player, you know, with with the sort of talent that he has, rise above that and and put together better numbers than he did. So it's it's going to be a question of um, can can he put together all those those skills that he's got and and now that he's got a, a really good quarterback thrown to him, um, can he put it together? I think he, I, I think the skills give him the opportunity to carve out a role. Um, I, I think overall, I think his skill set is is even a little a little bit better maybe than D'Angelo Yancey, the fifth round picks. So I think his ceiling is higher. Um, but, but again, there's no guarantee and it's just all going to come down to the, the training camp uh, competition to see whether or not he's going to make a spot. So Tex, we're going to get you out of here with this one. What's your hottest NFL draft take from this past weekend? <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if this one's a hot take, but I think the 49ers defense is going to be really good really soon. And I think the, the fact that they got a couple of really good players in Solomon Thomas and Reuben Foster, um, they're going to be back and, and back fast. So, so we're going to start seeing a little more of the, the 49ers defense that we saw under Jim Harbaugh. Um, it, it's really been gone these last couple of years, and I think that'll be uh, they'll be back with a vengeance. The other one I think is I, I really did not like Minnesota trading up to get Dalvin Cook in the second round. I think they had a lot of other holes that they could have filled, uh, maybe used it on a corner or um, you know, or a linebacker or something, or, or even an offensive lineman. Um, but I've also been very low on Cook throughout this whole process. I, I've been on the record saying I think he's going to be a big-time bust in the NFL, and I don't think he's going to be a particularly good running back. And I don't know why you trade up to get him when you already have Latavius Murray uh, on your team, ha- having brought him in as a, as a big free agent signing this offseason. So I think he's going to flame out. I, I don't like what they did um, as, far as, as far as that goes. And then for my coldest take, I think – the Bears just completely shot themselves in the foot with with everything around Mitchell Trubisky and then trading up again for a, a five foot six and a half running back uh, and Terry Cohen. I think they they royally screwed screwed up their roster a little bit with um, with what they did. I mean that, that those third and fourth round picks that they they traded away they could have really made some some uh, gotten some good contributors out of those to to fill some of the holes on that roster. And they're certainly not a quarterback away. They've got a lot of places that they needed to improve. And I, I don't think they did that um, effectively at all. He is Tex Western, the man in charge at acmepackingcompany.com, helping you unpack some of what happened this past weekend in the NFL draft. Tex, thanks so much for stopping by. Gentlemen, thanks a lot. Go Big back thanks to Tex Western for appearing with us this week on Blue 58. You can find his stuff and some of ours as well at acmepackingcompany.com. Hey, before we get back to what we were doing here on the show, I want to take a couple minutes and talk to you about something, and that is how you can support us here at Blue58 and uh, a little bit larger at thepowersweep.com. We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for you, and the, the most important thing that you can do to support us is just continue to read and to listen all this, uh, listen to all the stuff that we put out. That's really, first and foremost, the most important thing you can do. But say you wanted to go a little bit deeper than that, Here are four things that you can do to support us here at Blue58 and at thepowersweep.com. First, 
and foremost, just share everything. Share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, send it to your friends, tell people about the site. It really helps us get in front of more people's eyes and into more people's ears. That is the way that the site grows the most. Second, you can sign up for our email list. It's really easy to do. Just go to thepowersweep.com. Look for the box on the right side of the homepage. It won't take you more than five or ten seconds. I was able to figure it out at least that fast. I'm confident that you'll be able to do the same. That'll make sure that you get each one of our podcasts delivered directly to your email inbox and will help you stay on top of some of the other stuff that we do throughout the week. You're going to get one email and one email only from us each week at thepowersweep.com. Thirdly, if you do want to support us a little bit more tangibly than just via email or sharing things, you can support us on patreon.com. That's a site that helps people who create things like we do at The Power Sweep uh, get a little bit of feedback or to uh, financial feedback, I guess that is, to offset some of the costs. This site, unfortunately, this podcast, they are not free to produce. We do need a little bit of money to keep things going. And if you could help us out with that, even a little bit, we would be ever so grateful. Don't break the bank to do so, though. If you've got some change lying around, send it our way. A buck a month is what we are asking for just to start. Finally, if you want to do a little bit more than that, financially, we would like to do a little bit of something for you as well. So we're giving you the opportunity to buy some shirts or a sweatshirt or a a t-shirt from spreadshirt.com. We have a store set up via that site and you can find it at thepowersweep.com. I think the designs are phenomenal. Gary did a great job putting those together. And if you want to give us a little bit more than you're able to via Patreon, that is one way to do it. And you're going to look great as you do it as well. Again, this wouldn't be possible without you at all. Uh, So first and foremost, just continue to read, to listen, to consume the things that we produce. That's really what means the most to us, and I think that's the way that we connect with you the best. But if you are so willing, we would be grateful to have your support in these other areas as well. It would mean a lot to both Gary and myself. All right, on with the show. Gary, we spent a lot of time leading up to the draft talking about the sort of things that the Packers do to try to make sure that they're getting guys that they like. They have a specific set of tendencies that they look for at almost every position uh, that tells them about guys that might fit with what they're trying to do, both on offense and on defense. So this kind of begs the question, I think, what did the Packers really accomplish this weekend? Well, in my mind, it comes down to two things. First, they got bigger, and second, they got faster. Well, how do we know that? Well, we know that because of those athletic profiles. And for the people who may not remember, it's been three weeks and change since we published that article on thepowersweep.com. Tell us a little bit about these profiles. Well, John, we went through every draft pick that the Packers have made under Ted Thompson. And we, as you alluded to earlier, discovered some tendencies. Uh, The philosophies that the Packers use when looking at specific draft targets. So, Uh, For example, one would be at cornerback, the Packers really do not look at players that are under five feet, ten and a half inches. There were a number of players at corner who were drafted this weekend that fit under those criteria, but the Packers have historically uh, never drafted anyone um, under that under that height at corner. Second, there's some other attributes that Ted Thompson and the Packers front office have targeted a little bit more often things like choosing running backs that are a little bigger and bruises or bruisers, uh, choosing wide receivers that have uh, established collegiate production. 
things that we can use those as filters and lenses to understand what the Packers are going to do in the draft and, and optimally to get us to better understand how they're going to use the players once they're in the building. And we, in our research, have kind of determined that the Packers, on average, tend to pick players that are a little bit bigger and a little bit faster than the NFL average at most positions. So how did that all play out in this year's draft? Well, let's look at the the four or five positions the Packers targeted real quick. We don't have to go super in-depth on this stuff, but um, real quick, we will look and see how these guys compared to what the Packers have done in in the past. So we'll start with running back. The Packers took three running backs in this year's NFL draft. I was very surprised at that. Gary, I don't know if you were expecting three running backs, but if you were, I really wish you would have written something about it on the blog. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't expecting three running backs, um, and, and I certainly wasn't expecting both Christine Michael and Don Jackson to be out of a job uh, days after the draft. But here we are, three new running backs heading to the draft for the Packers, and, and all of them are, are kind of interesting in that uh, they align physically with what the Packers look for from their running backs, but it's a bit split on, on how they line up in the other respects. Uh, Jamal Williams and Devontae Mays are pretty much perfect examples of what the Packers are looking for uh, in terms of size from their running backs. Uh, Jamal Williams is six foot even and Devontae Mays at 5'11". They're 2'12 and 230 respectively and both run the 40 a little bit over 4.5 seconds. But from there it gets a little bit interesting because neither of them are quite as good in the agility drills as the Packers have typically looked for from their backs in the past. But Aaron Jones, on the other hand, is like the super example of what the Packers look for in the agility drills. He's better on the three cone and he's better on the shuttle than the Packers have typically looked for from their running backs. That means he's going to have tremendous agility, or at least in theory, he should. The the rub on Jones, though, is that he's a little bit smaller than the Packers have looked for from their backs at just five nine and a half and two hundred and eight pounds. Gary, do you have any concerns about any of these guys? They don't uh, in that they don't necessarily line up with what the Packers have looked for. I don't really mind that they don't line up because they're such different running backs. I would be a little bit more mm, disgruntled. Isn't the right word. They picked three different running backs with three very different styles of of running the football. You bring them to camp, you see what happens. I I, I love it. I think that's exactly what happens. I think they're going for a volume approach here because now if you include Aaron Ripkowski in the mix and that other fullback, Joe Carriage, they've got six backs and six very different looks from all of those guys. So I think they are just going to see what sticks. At wide receiver, kind of the similar philosophy because the Packers – Uh, Went with one guy who's very much like what they do at their athletic profiles and one guy who maybe isn't so much. A lot of people said on Twitter after and during the draft that D'Angelo Yancey was basically James Jones minus a hoodie. Uh, Until I looked at the numbers today, I didn't realize exactly how accurate that was. But it is spot on because we identified James Jones as kind of that ideal receiver for what the Packers look for in terms of um, athletic fit. Well, Yancey at just under six foot two and 220 pounds is right in line with what the Packers do and very similar to Jones and he is very good in those agility drills that the Packers find so important. The flip side of that is Malachi Dupree and I give him a little bit of a pass because he is a seventh round pick but he is not very good in those agility drills and I and I wonder if that could limit uh, his potential as a receiver because that tends to hurt your route running a little bit. What's your read on Malachi Dupree Gary? 
I'm a little less optimistic as as Twitter is that it seems like we've uncovered the next Odell Beckham Jr. I'm interested to see what Dupree does in camp. I get a sense at wide receiver that the Packers know within a couple of days who's going to be there and who's not. You'll remember last year, Geronimo Allison by, what, three, four days into camp, we're like, yep, that guy's going to be good. I think we'll know pretty quickly whether Yancey or Dupree is going to push Jeff Janis for that final wide receiver spot on this roster. I think so, too. So let's jump ahead to offensive line. This one is an interesting one, too. We know the Packers like to take uh, people who play tackle, specifically left tackle in college, and convert them into guards. Well, they selected uh, Kofi Amachia. I, I don't know for sure on the pronunciation. Uh, Mr. K, we'll call him. Special K. Kofi. That's a cool name. Um, six foot three and a half, 302 pounds, very, very athletic and very strong. Runs the 40 in about 489, a 33-inch vertical, 33 and a half, and 32 reps on the bench. He's big and he's strong and he's fast, but he looks like a bit of a project, doesn't he, Gary? He's 300 pounds and he runs the 40 in under five seconds. I don't care if he's a project. Dang, dude. You do you. Yes. I I mean, I will stay out of his way. I will not try to run away from him. If you want something from me, sure. Sounds like he can have it. Uh, That's that's very true for the next guy on the list, too. And I think these guys are are kind of similar, too, because they're both uh, athletic projects at their respective uh, positions. Montrevious Adams. Six foot four, 304 pounds, basically built like Latroy Guyon, but he runs very well, even better than Special K on the offensive line. 487 in the 40 for Mr. Adams. The problem with him is he doesn't match what the Packers do at all in the agility drills, and that's really was the knock. Every scouting report you read on him says he's poor side to side, not athletic or agile at all. I think he looks like a little bit of a project, but I think it may be the end for Latroy Guyon at the same time. Man, if it's not, that guy just continues to be a cat he is with the, all of those lives. He's the luckiest guy in the world. Let's move right along to, to Edge Rusher because I want to spend a, lot, a little bit more time on these last few defensive picks. We actually predicted Vince Beagle as the guy the Packers may be interested in based in part because of how well he performs in these drills. Uh, so he is more or less in line exactly with what the Packers do uh, for their athletic profile, at six foot three and two hundred and forty six pounds, he was he's within uh, 0.14 inches and four pounds of the average Packers outside linebacker that they've drafted over the last thirteen years. He's basically exactly the platonic ideal, I guess is what you would say. In his agility drills, he's even better than what the Packers look for, and I think that's going to put him in a position to maybe leapfrog someone at least like Kyler Fackrell because he's built a little bit bigger and a little bit differently than Fackrell is, and he's played the position a little bit longer. What's your read on Beagle? I am fascinated by Vince Beagle in the Packers organization because we are going to see which scouts were right. On one hand, you had a number of scouts that said, Beagle played pretty well in coverage last year, and you might be a candidate to move him to inside linebacker. There was another set of scouts that said, You do not want Beagle anywhere near a tight end, anywhere near a running back. You're going to want to put him on the field for third down and long and take him off as soon as you can. And that's what I think you can get a little in the weeds on with these prospects in the draft. 
are they <laughs> nobody really knows for sure we can take a guess based on their tape I think Beagle is going to be a good pro. I don't like his jersey number of 45. I think all linebackers should be in the 50s, but that's okay. If if your biggest gripe with him is his, his jersey number, I think he's going to be all right. Finally, we'll wrap up with defensive backs, and this is, to me, where things really get interesting for the Packers because they picked two guys that if you look at the athletic profiles, you think – Gosh, these guys are never going to fall to the Packers because they're just they're, somebody else is going to take him. It's absurd if you just look at these guys on paper. And I know football games aren't played on paper, but Kevin King and Josh Jones, both taller than six foot one, both over two hundred pounds, both run the forty within a couple hundredths of a second of four four flat, and King is just otherworldly when it comes to these agility drills. Jones is a little bit worse. But these guys are just unreal. I was looking at the data today. There is, They have no comparison in Packers history, or at least in Ted Thompson's history, in terms of draft picks. There's just nothing like him. They break the mold. It's like the unicorn frappuccino at Starbucks. Something you never want to try again? <laughs> no, no. Something that's only available at one specific time, and you only hear about it once i guess kevin so. king is is a really interesting prospect but i i think josh jones is the one here that's really gonna determine what the packers draft class is going to be remembered for is he going to put it all together he had a little bit of consistency problems at nc state athletic profiles crazy i like both these guys i'm i'm bonkers about this draft class i'm bonkers for football I, I am bonkers for football as well. It's, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play uh, or how they develop because both of them are kind of developmental projects. More on Jones here in a second, but Gary, I wanted to ask you first of all, who do you think the most interesting player from this particular draft class is? I like the UTEP running back Aaron Jones. I was a big fan of Jonathan Franklin when the Packers drafted him. I was in the stands in Cincinnati when he had arguably, well, not arguably, his best game of his of his short-lived career. Uh, I loved Franklin, and Jones is almost an exact clone of Franklin. So uh, give me the UTEP running back. I'm going to take Josh Jones for me just because he's very physically gifted, but he's a little bit of a project. I'm not sure exactly where he's going to play for the Packers. Some people have broached the, the possibility right out of the gate that he could be. I, I think it was Ryan Wood of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. He, he he may have over, uh, overstated this. I'm not sure he would agree with this or if if he realized what he was saying. He wondered aloud if the Packers had drafted one of their new starting inside linebackers, which would be a little bit weird, but it would be a step towards the Packers really embracing that modern trend of the, the sort of tweener linebacker prospect. He's very athletic. I'll say that for him. He's going to be interesting to watch, and I think it's interesting that we both pick somebody named Jones. Hey, Gary, while I got you here, do you remember off the top of your head, and I'm sure you do, the last underclassman that the Packers took from Josh Jones's alma mater, North Carolina State? <laughs> I love the Wolfpack, but I, I don't love them enough to know the last underclassman we drafted from them. That would be a guy named Terrell Manning. He himself was a bit of an undersized inside linebacker, and he stuck with the Packers for not a very long time. He was a fifth-round pick in 2012, played just five games for the Packers in 2012 before he was cut. He had some unusual issues in training camp, got very, very sick 
lost a whole bunch of weight, really battled back, and it's impressive that he made the, the roster at all. But he was cut after the 2012 season, played five games for the Chargers in 2013, then get this, three games for the Bears in 2014, and one game each for the Giants and Bengals in that same season. That is a heck of an interesting NFL career in a very, very short while. I bet Here, he's got some cool workout gear. I, I would be stealing that stuff wherever I went if I was an, an NFL journeyman. Just let me keep my jersey and let me fill up this duffel bag with all the workout gear I can carry out of the facility. I wonder if they have some sort of limit on that. I would, <laughs> they would if either if they signed either of us. I would hope so. Gary, where can the good people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us at www.thepowersweep.com. And if you're a Facebook or Twitter user, you can find us. We are at The Power Sweep in both locations. We love to hear from you guys. And as John said, we're just really thankful for this opportunity to uh, to, to be in your earbuds uh, at some point during the week. Uh, we hope you love the Packers as much as, as, as we do. And if you do, drop us a line and let us know what you think. We are thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com and an email. You can always reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Uh, all of your feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. Smarter Packer fans, we think, are better Packer fans, and better Packer fans are what we all want to be. Thank you so much for listening. Check back here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel for Gary Zillaby. I am John Meerdink. We'll see you next week.